0: Today we're going to be talking about um, this emotion of being kind of alone. And so I thought, well, one is the loneliest number is a pretty good way to introduce this whole topic. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to be in 1 Samuel uh, chapter 1. This series we've called Uncommon, we've been looking at uh, characters from uh, Scripture, mostly in this series has been almost exclusively Old Testament characters, although not like last week it was Barnabas. But... I like the notion of looking at someone and seeing how did, they, how did they deal with this situation. It's like reading any biography, if you think about it. Uh, how did they do what they do? And so if you read a biography of Steve Jobs or you read a biography of, of Abraham Lincoln or whoever, there's the idea that they uh, accomplished certain things or they handled certain situations and I'd like to see what they did in that situation to see if I might be able to apply it to my life. Okay, so today we're looking at a young woman by the name of of Hannah. Now, the interesting thing about Hannah is she feels alone. And, and th- that's been a common theme the last couple of years, especially with the pandemic and, and, and all the things that have gone on the last couple of years. You've had people in hospitals who haven't been able to have family in because of restrictions, and they felt alone. You've had people in assisted living places, who can't have family come in for the same sorts of reasons. You've had students and teachers trying to, to teach and learn uh, long distance, and, and that's difficult, and they feel alone and isolated. And, and then you had, a, like a, about a year ago, uh, protests around police officers, and, and there were some who did egregious things, but everybody got lumped into one. Group and and I'm I'm fairly certain that those folks those officers felt alone. Uh, it's the reason why the most severe punishment in a prison is uh, solitary confinement. Being alone is an unwelcome unwanted emotion. And so today we're going to talk about uh, this young woman named Hannah. So let's just jump in. If you have your Bibles again, First Samuel chapter one says this, There was a certain man from the hill country of Ephraim whose name was Elkanah. He had two wives. One was named Hannah and the other Peninnah. From now on we're calling her Penny because it's easier. And I'm sure that's what he called her. Penny had children, plural. Hannah had none. And we are introduced to her pain immediately. When... In, in the ancient world, when you were a woman, you needed kids to val- validate your existence as a person. You needed sons because sons were the ones who took care of their mothers when their fathers were gone. It was uh, Having a son was a 401k program for, for women in that day. And so uh, in the ancient world, when they read that sentence, but Hannah had none, it would be like uh, us in a conversation saying oh yeah, she's got stage 3 breast cancer. Uh, It would have taken the air out of the room when when they read that sentence. Hannah had no children. Now we learned something about Elkanah, the husband. For for a husband to have two wives says a couple of things. One, it says he's a man of some substance, some uh, financial resources. Because uh, uh, we husbands, those of us who are husbands, uh, who have families understand there's, there's a cost to that. And so you, you have a family to keep up. Well, to be able to keep up two families uh, would have been, you know, one must presume, somewhat like being doubly expensive. So the one thing that we know about Elkanah is that he is a man of some means. We also know he's a man of little sense because... Um, that brother's got two wives. Uh, you know, That's it's double the opportunity to miss the anniversary, double the opportunity to miss the birthday. You know, it's just really uh, nothing good about that. So um, it doesn't um, affirm having two wives. It just sort of states the fact that he had two wives. And here's Hannah, and she doesn't have children. Now, it goes on. Year after year, this man, Elkanah, went up from his town to worship and sacrifice the Lord Almighty at a town called Shiloh. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Peninnah, Penny, and to all, her, to all her sons and daughters. So that's at least four, right? Sons would be at least two, daughters at least two, that's four. Uh, the way it reads is kind like of like she had a passel of kids, you know. But Hannah, to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord closed her womb. Now, uh, on the good side, Elkanah is a spiritual leader he brings his family to church. I mean that's kind of the thing and that, and it was a pilgrimage. They lived in another town, they had to go to Shiloh, big deal. For him to bring his family to worship, that's a big deal. But he shows favoritism and that's not too big a deal. I mean that's it's like don't you don't really want to do that when you have um, th- that's one of the problems of having two wives is that you're going to uh, be a favorite, you're going to have a favorite one. That's kind of what happens here. And what's really interesting, he says it says that To Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her. Now, the double portion would typically go to your oldest son. So, um, uh, since Penny had sons, there's an oldest son, and that should have gone, the double portion should have gone to the son. Now, Elkanah is a study in in, in men uh, not knowing how to... Help their wives. Doesn't happen today. Every man knows what to do now. But back in the day, uh, Elkanah really didn't know what to do. He sees her pain. He senses it at least, and so um, he he sort of fudges Uh, the double portion should have been for the oldest son, but he gives it to Hannah. And it's basically him saying, uh, honey, I know you're going through a tough time. Have a second hamburger. Uh, It's like, okay, well, he's trying. He's just not good at it. I mean, that's just really, really not good. And And then it gets worse. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. Well, that's the reason you provoke somebody. And this went on year after year. And whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. And have you ever been in such distress that you would not eat? Neither have I. But I hear I hear. that's really bad. And that's where we find Hannah. And so, alright ladies, i got to warn you. What he does next probably not the right approach her husband Elkanah would say to her Hannah why are you weeping why don't you eat why are you so downhearted um don't I mean more to you than 10 sons and every woman just said oh no he didn't (laughs) yes he did he did he's trying let's give him let's be gracious he's not good but he's trying uh, and the dude is really kind of clueless. And, but what he does is what we sometimes do, and he's making her pain about him. Am I not doing enough for you? It's kind of what he's saying. Am I not good to you? Didn't I just give you a second hamburger? Does that second hamburger not mean anything? She doesn't even want to eat the first hamburger. He gives her two. I didn't say pork chop, because that wouldn't have been good. That, that's, uh, they're Jewish. They couldn't do that. All right, so he makes her pain... About him now, Elkanah. It's not the. It's not the least of her problems. She's got a rival, another wife named Penny, and she's intentionally provoking. She she she's stirring it up. She's making comments, and I can imagine they're they're traveling. They're in a caravan. They're going from uh, Ramah to uh, Shiloh, and and they're in the caravan, so they're traveling together. And I could just hear Penny kind of talking down to Hannah and saying something like, "Hannah, honey, can you help me with all these children? It's not like you have anything going on." And every time it was the knife, and it was turning the knife. See. Elkanah was trying, and he wasn't any good. He was trying to comfort, and he wasn't good at it. Penny was trying to discomfort, and she was good at it. And that leaves Hannah in this this spot where where some of you might find yourself. She, She had to wonder, has God forgotten me in the depths of our hearts, sometimes we feel like God might not know we're even here anymore. And so, look what happens. Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house, and in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. So there was a coming and going that kind of uh, ebb and flow that kind of happened in the, these, um, uh, these times. And so Eli was sort of the know, gatekeeper in the right word. He was, he was kind of hanging out at church. It would be like me after church sitting uh, on the, the platform here and kind of scanning the crowd a little bit. And you all are talking, well, Hannah sat in a chair and she begins to pray. She begins to pray. And she's in deep anguish, and she's weeping bitterly. And it says, she made the vow, and she says, Lord Almighty, if you will only look at your servant's misery and remember her, me. Her issue is really, is God even seeing me? It's really what, I mean, That's the question she asks. If you'll see me, she says, if you'll remember me and not forget me, and give me a son... Then I'll give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. It's really interesting. Um, There's something called the Nazarite vow. You may not have ever heard of it. It's something that happened uh, back in the day. In fact, it happened even in the New Testament, although you don't hear it called the Nazarite vow. I'll do a sermon on it one time. I've I've already done one before. It's really, really super interesting. Uh, It won't be anytime soon, but but I'll I'll let you know when it's going to happen. And, and there was, uh, the one you know that took a Nazarite vow would have been Samson. You know, he didn't cut his hair, it was kind of the same thing. He didn't eat anything that was unclean. I mean, there, there were some certain things he wasn't supposed to drink wine. There were some things that they weren't supposed to do. Okay, so the main point of this text is that the very thing she's asking for, she's willing to give up. Most of us aren't there spiritually because what we think of is, okay, I'm going to ask for this to possess it. I'm asking for something to possess. And Hannah was, Lord, if you give it to me, I'll give it back to you. There was something in her spirit. I think she just really wanted to know he, he knew her. She just wanted to feel feel Known. So she, she prays this prayer. Now, Eli is sitting there, and he's watching. And she kept on praying to the Lord, and Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. <laughs> All right, time out, just a second. Let me, um, let's stipulate something. Pastors hardly ever make a mistake. <laughs> let's stipulate that. But here we have a pastor making a mistake. All right, so now, time in. So Eli thought he was drunk, and he said to her, "How long are you going to stay drunk, girl? You come in here, I'll liquor her it up." It's kind of what he says. Put away your wine. So he sees what's happening, and he makes an assessment, and it's wrong. The, the notion that you could be so overwhelmed that your lips might move but no words come out—there's actually a, a psychological term for that. It's called psychogenic dysphonia. I think and my, my mind is working, but the words just aren't being verbally uh, verbalized. They're not being verbalized. And here's Hannah. Like, she doesn't have anything else going on. She's got a husband that doesn't understand her. She's got a, um, a rival who's provoking her. She's got no children at all. And now the preacher accuses her of being a lush Bad day for Hannah. I I love her response. Not so, Lord. (laughs) Not so. Uh, Respectful, my Lord. By the way, that's a great way to refer to your pastor. Uh, uh, Not so, my Lord. Because it's biblical. Uh, um, I'm a woman who is in deep trouble, or is deeply troubled... I've not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I've been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Dude, it ain't like that. It's not like that. Now, on the rare occasion that a pastor makes a mistake, I like what Eli did. He said, go in peace and may God, the God of Israel, grant what you've asked for. And she said, may your servant find favor in your eyes. And when she went on her way, uh, when she went, uh, she went her way and she ate something and her face was no longer downcast. It's almost as if this verse is saying Hannah finally feels seen, at least by the priest, At least by somebody who is officially a representative of God. For the first time maybe in a long time, maybe ever, she feels that God has seen her. That God has heard her. And it changes everything. Hope is an amazing thing. She has hope. Look what happens. Early the next morning, they arose and they worshiped before the Lord and went back to their home at Ramah. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant. Um, that's at the end of verse 19. I just didn't put that in there. Uh, uh, in the course of time, uh, the end of 19 tells you how that happened, just so you know. Okay, uh, she became pregnant and gave birth to a son. And she named him Samuel, saying, because I asked the Lord for him. And the word Samuel in the Hebrew sounds like heard by God. And so she probably named him, this is Samuel. And I name him Samuel because I have been heard by God. And at the end of chapter 1 of 1 Samuel, you have Hannah. Uh, She has finally weaned this child. Um, Most biblical scholars believe that happened in that era at about three years old. I know we do it much earlier than that now, but back in that day, about three years old. Maybe a little older than that. And she is going to keep her vow, and this is an amazing thing. She has asked for a son and she has given a son and now she's going to take him and give him to Eli. Like in another town. There are some life lessons that we need to kind of pick up on here. Uh, First one is this. Lessons from the life of Hannah. Number one, I control my responses. I control them. I really, the more I study Hannah, the more I like her because she does not trade insult for insult. I mean, when when she's being provoked by Penny, Penny the provocateur, she's provoking, and, and you know, Hannah could say something like, "How Penny, how's your second hamburger? Oh, wait a minute. You didn't get one, did you? She didn't do that. When Elkanah, in his ham-fisted male way, tries to um, do something for her, she, she, she doesn't, we don't have record of it, at least, her saying, are you kidding? Are you just kidding me right now? When Eli accuses her of being um, a drunkard, of being drunk in the, in the temple, she's respectful. Not so, my lord. Not so. Not so. I'm not wicked. She just explains herself. There is a verse I think we need to live with, and it's Proverbs 19.11. Those with good sense are slow to anger, and it is to their glory to overlook an offense. It, it It is a great verse. If 2020 was a verse, this might be the one that we need. Because life is offensive. There are some people who are going to offend you By accident. Uh, Elkanah was trying to do the right thing, and he still offended Hannah. There are some people who are going to offend you accidentally. There are some people who are going to offend you intentionally, like Penny did Hannah. She's looking for a fight. She's trying to stir it up. Point being, you are going to have opportunity to take offense. You can find opportunity to take offense before you leave the room today. You can find opportunity. If you want to be offended, it doesn't take very long to be offended. But Scripture's teaching here, those with good sense, now you don't have to have good sense, but if you want good sense, those with good sense are slow to anger. And it's to their glory. It's to their glory. What a great word that is. Glory is usually reserved for God. It's to your glory. It's really a big deal. So here's how I think it goes down. I'm not sure it's biblical, but this is how I think it happens. You get cut off in traffic. Some of your blood, your blood's boiling right now. Cut off in traffic. It's a dude, because girls don't do that. Uh, uh, Cut off in traffic, and now you have opportunity to take offense. For some of you, that would be blowing a horn. For some of you, that would be waving. With not all your fingers. <laughs> not friendly waving. Some of you, you know. But let's say, let's say, let's say, you don't know, wait Hampton, you're driving whichever direction you go. Uh, <laughs> it's all church people out there, uh, you know, uh, after church. And so you really should be nice to those people. But anyway, it's okay. And they cut you off. And you know he did it on purpose. Because he's in a pickup truck. <laughs> Half the audience hates me now. Okay, all right, great. Uh, he's, in a, he's in a, he's in a, he's in a, something. And uh, he cuts you off. And you're tempted to not be of good sense, but, but you say, okay, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Proverbs 19.11 says, if I'm of good sense... I'm going to be slow to anger, and it's to my glory to overlook an offense. And you overlook it. You just, you wave them in, you flash your lights, you let them be. Good on you. Power to the people. Peace, man. Peace. Both fingers. Peace. (laughs) It's all good for you. And at that moment, (laughs) in heaven, there's a little choir it's the overlooking Offense Choir. It's not really biblical, but let's go. Uh, go with me. Help me. It's the I'm going to overlook an offense choir. It's not a lot of people because it doesn't happen very often, but they got a little choir up there over off to the side for your glory. And you do this, you, you, you peace man, power to the people, let them on in, and that little choir, they start to sing. Hallelujah. You hear it in your ears. Because it's to a person's glory to overlook an offense. One of the things I love about Hannah, man, she had so many opportunities to be bitter. If there's a formula for bitterness, she's living it i got a husband that do not understand me. i got a rival a wife of my husband who's provoking me. I don't even know if God's listening to me. I don't have any security going into my future. It's all bad for me. And a lot of times that leads people to bitterness. I, I love her attitude. She just goes to, to prayer. Which leads me to the second point, and that's this. We all want to know God sees and hears us. That's what she, in my deep anguish, in her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly, and she made a vow. And basically, she says, God, I just want you to hear me. And and sometimes we just need to know God is there. God, I just need to hear that you're there. See, H- uh, Hannah had a husband, Elkanah, and he tried to take the place of God. Am I not uh, better than 10 sons? What a stupid thing to say. See, he was trying to take the place, trying to give to her something that he could not give her. And I, Hannah prayed for a son that she could give away something so precious. And God knew. And and sometimes God answers prayers that way. Many years ago, Miriam and the girls and I moved from one town to the next and we had a house that needed to be sold, we owned. And that community, it was really hard to sell a house. Like here, you want to know what you have to do to sell a house? Put a for sale sign in the yard. You know, in Greenville, this this is crazy, but not not there, not that time. And we left town with a mortgage that we couldn't afford. I had no idea what we were going to do. Financial trouble is difficult on a marriage. It's one of the leading causes of divorce. And I'm playing this forward in my mind and I'm thinking to myself, my word, we're going to go bankrupt and who knows? Who knows? And within a month, that economy changed. It's a reversal of fortune. It sold in a month, and not only did it sell, but we had equity. I go from fretting and praying about a financial disaster to now having money in the bank. I didn't have a job. I get a phone call one day from a church I'd never heard of, never even knew where it was. It wasn't far from where uh, we were living, but I didn't know. And they said, Pastor, would you be willing to come preach for us? We just lost our pastor, and you could kind of be, you could supply, be a supply preacher. (laughs) And my first question was, does it pay? And before I could, you know, I, you don't say that, that's rude, but they, you know, we'll pay you, you know, $100. It's like, yeah, man, I'll take $100. And that one preaching engagement ended up being a 16 month interim. And it was like God threw us a lifeline. I know God doesn't always answer your prayer like that. He answered ours that time that way. But the real question is this. If I can get back to it. oh, Did I do that? Thank you, vlog. Can you remain faithful when God makes you wait? That's a tough question. When God makes you wait, can you remain faithful? Jesus talked about it. He said, keep asking and it will be given. Keep searching and you will find. Keep knocking and the door will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who searches finds. The one who knocks the door will be open. And there's something to be said for persistence. Can I be faithful even when God makes me wait? Which leads me to the last life lesson, which may be the most important. God's purposes are bigger than me. And I need to remember that, and you need to remember that. God's purposes are bigger than me. See, here's the truth. I don't always know what God's doing, but God always knows what He's doing. I don't always understand what God's doing. God always knows, and God always understands. And the Lord opens her womb, and she has this son, and she takes him to this old prophet, this old pastor, this old uh, priest by the name of Eli, and she leaves him there, his little robe. And Elkanah went home to Ramah, but this boy, his little boy Samuel, ministered before the Lord under Eli the priest. And if you've ever seen a grandfather with a grandson, this is the picture of Eli with Samuel. And and Eli's going about his priestly duties. And there's this little boy named Samuel and he's got his little robe on and and he is helping his kind of surrogate grandfather. Now, Eli had sons. Um. Look at what it says about Eli's sons. Eli's sons were scoundrels. They had no regard for the Lord. Um, It says basically that they stole the offerings and they slept with the women at church. (laughs) Eli's own flesh and blood were horrible. But he's got this little boy named Samuel. Samuel. But Samuel was ministering before the Lord. A boy wearing a fine—I'm uh, sorry—wearing a, a linen ephod, and each year his mother made him a little robe and took it to him when she went with, up there uh, to, with her husband to offer the annual sacrifice. And this little boy kind of took the place of those scoundrels, Eli's sons. By the way, Eli really should have done something about that. Um, He sort of turned a blind eye. Eli's not painted in a great picture in, in this text. All right, let's go on. Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife saying, May the Lord give you children by this woman to take the place of the one she prayed for and gave to the Lord. And then they would go home. Now, the word Hannah, the name Hannah means favor or grace. And it says, And the Lord was gracious to Hannah and gave her three sons and two daughters. And meanwhile, the boy Samuel grew up in the presence of the Lord. He was at church. And Samuel went on to do these amazing things. Samuel cleaned up the the priesthood. Uh, He kind of uh, uh, made sure that things like Eli's sons were doing never happened again. He took care of that situation. And then he had the opportunity. He uh, anointed a, a young man by the name of David. You may have heard of David. David becomes the king. This is before kings, but uh, but then eventually uh, Samuel grows up and he becomes a priest and he anoints this young man named David who becomes the king. And he does these amazing things. And we never hear another word about Hannah after the second chapter. But she prays this prayer. She has this notion. And she prays this amazing prayer. My heart rejoices in the Lord. The Lord has made me strong. Now I have an answer for my enemies. I will rejoice. I rejoice because you rescued me. No one is holy like the Lord. There is no one beside you. There is no rock like our God. And God had shown himself to be someone who sees. And the question is do I believe that God knows what he's doing? And Hannah needed a rock, and she says, he was my rock. And then she goes on, she sings about this reversal. Hey, there, things, are, things are always what they seem. So she sings about it. For the Lord is a God who knows what's been done. He will judge your actions. The bow of the mighty is now broken, and those who stumble are now strong. And those who are well fed are now starving, and those who are starving are now full and the childless woman has now seven, now has seven children. And the woman with many children wastes away. And then she finishes. Those who fight against the Lord will be shattered. He thunders against them from heaven. The Lord judges throughout the earth. He gives power to his king. By the way, there weren't even kings yet. So she's prophesying. And he increases the strength of his anointed one and then. Everything about Hannah goes black. We don't hear anything else. But, a thousand years later, there's a young Israelite girl by the name of Mary. You may have heard of her. She had a son. His name was Jesus. She too sang a song that is remarkably similar to to a song that was sung a thousand years before. Really interesting. She sang, oh, how my soul praises the Lord, just like Hannah. How my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. He took notice of this lowly servant girl, and from now on, all generations will call me blessed. And then she sings about a reversal. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has shattered the proud and haughty ones. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands." And here you have Mary, a thousand years later, sort of parroting the song of Hannah. God is great. Not everything is what it seems. And interestingly enough, Hannah's pain was early. Mary's pain was late. Hannah gave her son up young. Mary's son was older when he was taken. In this tomb that's like an empty, a barren womb where there is no life, Jesus transformed it a reversal. If you will. And death comes, becomes life, and the poor become rich. And Jesus says, Blessed are the poor, for they will uh, blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted, and blessed are the poor, for they will have plenty. And Jesus talks about this all the time, this reversal. He's in control. And the purposes of God are bigger than our problems. Think about it. It, If Hannah hadn't been barren, if she hadn't had that experience, that pain, it's likely that she would have never prayed a prayer. Lord, give me a son and I'll give him back to you. The son who does amazing things. Well, if she hadn't had the pain, she might not have prayed the prayer and she might not have followed through with the commitments. But because... She had the pain. She prayed the prayer. She followed through with the commitment. But it all started with the pain. When you're in the middle of pain, it's hard to see what God might be doing. But the answer to what God might be doing is He might be doing something amazing. We just don't know about. Do I trust that God knows what He's doing. Again, I don't always know what God's doing, but He always knows what He's doing. So today you might be in the midst of pain. And it's hard to see around pain. But I would guarantee you, God knows what He's doing. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful that You're all-knowing and all-loving. That You're Able to turn bad into good. You're able to make something positive out of a negative. So Lord, today there may be some of us in this room, maybe all of us in this room, who need to recommit that even when things aren't going the way we would hope or wish, that we, all of us, We commit to trusting that You know what You're doing and that Your purposes are bigger than us. We humbly pray it. In Jesus' name, Amen.